First on Film and Entertainment, the week of the BAFTAs. My name's Alex First. Joining me, Jackie Hamilton, Greg King, Dave Griffiths and Peter Krause. The full compliment. Fabulous. Excellent. So, boys and girl, we are going to start with the BAFTAs because this is sort of the, the big forerunner to the Oscars. I'm not sure how much of a guide any of these are, but I suppose what, what I've heard on the um, lowdown is that the BAFTAs are probably the best guide of the lot. Uh, all Quiet on the Western Front seems to have taken all before it. Now, I haven't seen it. Uh, I know, Peter Krauss, you have. Uh, is it that worthy? It is. It's an, an excellent film. Uh, it's a really strong adaptation of the novel by Eric Maria Remarque, and it's very gritty in, mm -hmm. in its style, and uh, it works really well. Oh, that's true. A long film? Uh, yeah, it's over two hours. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, the other thing, I mean, we've got to be very, very delighted. I, I've been angling for this for a long time. Kate Blanchett, fabulous. I'm just so delighted that she won Best Actress. And, of course, Catherine Martin in terms of Best Costuming. So congratulations to them and, of course, to all the other winners. Let's quickly go through it. Did, was anybody surprised that Austin Butler won Best Actor? I, it, it sort of, I'm not saying it was a bad role, but, um, yeah, I, I, I just wondered who was the competition? Well, I thought Brendan Fraser or Colin Farrell would Correct. win. Yeah, so surprised. I. So I was very surprised. Yeah, I was too, and that 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 was the reason I commented. What about you, Dave? When you sort of saw that, uh, I, I yeah, I, I thought that was. I'm not sure what the odds were beforehand, but uh, yeah, it, it would have been. I would have not thought he was the favourite. No, well, he did pick up a Golden Globe as well, but uh, yeah, I thought it would either be Brendan Fraser or Colin Farrell. Mm. All right. So with that, we've talked about Kate Blanchett. In terms, I'm I'm not surprised in terms of Kerry Condon winning Best Supporting Actress. I, I think we all commented at the time, did we not? What a fabulous performance as her hers was. Greg, do you, you you also would support that decision in terms of Best Supporting Actress. Uh, yeah. Although, as I said, I still like to see Jamie Lee Curtis win it. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Jackie? Yeah, I mean, uh, Banshees of Inner Sharon was quite some movie. It wasn't my favourite movie, though, which is why I'm quite happy for Austin Butler to have won Best Actor. And um, although I do agree, Kerry Condon was very good in her role. She actually made the role into something. Um, oh, very I, much so. Very much so. And, I mean, she was, uh, you know, she had some pretty good company and uh, it, it really stood out to me when I, when I watched her there. Uh, okay, talk to me, uh, Peter, Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, with uh, uh, Barry Keegan uh, yes, for Banshees. Yeah, I mean he—he he, it was such a showy role. That—that's the point that I was going to make about that. That really stood out. I, there were there were so many good performances in that movie, but I just thought he was gifted some beautiful lines, and he did a terrific job. He's a very fine actor. He really is. I mean, I'm delighted that he he won that award. I thought that was highly worthy. Um, in terms of what other what other categories stand out for for anybody? Um, anybody jump in at this point? Well, yeah, I, mean, I thought, I thought, sorry, I thought um, All Quiet on the Western Front deserves its Cinematography Award because it was quite spectacular, especially the um, shots of the battlefield scenes. They were well shot and that bluish tinge there sort of added something to it. Mm, I wasn't surprised about Guillermo del Toro's winning Best Animated Film for Pinocchio, quite, quite something. And uh, in terms of uh, the Rising Star Award, Emma Mackey, I, I thought that was an interesting... Uh, choice as well and obviously a very very powerful french british actress so um that that was pleasant uh best director well, she was in she was in emily don't forget yes oh, yeah that's true absolutely that's true best direction uh, how did you feel about that uh, edward berger yeah well it looks like i mean a surprise was that all quiet in the western front won both best international film and best film overall that's what really surprised me so when that happened uh, i was not surprised that uh, there were seven awards overall to all quiet and edward berger is a, a really strong director so um uh, it's great to see him win yeah I, the the other one navalny i haven't seen that have we seen that out here have i just missed it the the for best documentary i'm really keen to see it but did it it's it's before? actually been on S, on sbs um oh, has Alex? it have you seen yes. it yes yes but, yes and, and is it i mean obviously it's most worthy excellent it excellent is. does it live yeah. I mean, obviously you, you know about navalny from from news reports True. does does it lift the lid or it just sort of shines oh. light on what's um 
What, oh, what yeah, fully. It gives, all, it gives all the background lead up to it and, of course, with him taking the lead role and talking about everything that happened himself and kind of, you know, um, dissecting it and uncovering it, it's fascinating. Mm. It is, especially got- the revelation halfway through. But anyway, you've got to see it. Okay, I know it's good. So with something, I know this sounds a bit ignorant, but you've said it's been on SBS. Can you watch it on SBS On Demand or you, you don't know where? Oh, where possibly. I mean, it was last year, well, months ago, last year uh, that I saw it. Okay. Yes, yes. It, it should still be on there, but it should be available somewhere. I actually get a bit confused about some things like this. Sometimes you can watch a television show, I mean, even series, and I don't get much of a chance to, to watch TV, but... There, there are some series that you can watch on catch up and others that you can't. So there must mm. be some deals like um, what I mean, one of the um, my wife watches The Good Doctor and I sometimes watch it. And she sort of said, oh, well, have you seen that episode? And I went to try and find it. And no, they don't go backwards. I, I don't kind of understand that. I, I, there must be deals done or something with uh so especially as an American program, there must be deals done with certain programs that you can watch and others that you can't. I mean, these days, most things you can stream somewhere. The good doctor well, is if, on if about... You've got... here so, in sorry, Australia. Dave. I was going to say, if you've got the right services that you pay for, you can see anything well, possibly. But if you happen to restrict yourself to one or two services, well, yeah. you, you're likely to miss out on things that are on another... On another... another yeah. Mm. Dave, sorry, what were you going to say about The Good Doctor? Uh, it's on two streaming platforms in Australia, but I was going to say, can I recommend something to the listeners out there that any film lover or television lover should have on their phone? Yeah, please. That would be that sensational, namely. There's an app called Just Watch. It's a free app. You can download it and you can search for any television show or movie that you want to watch and it'll tell you what, what streaming platform it's on in Australia. Wow. Wow. Thanks, Dave. Just watch. Terrific. Yep. Excellent. That's well, awesome. that hey, listen, that's a beautiful reference to just watch the Essendon Football Club in 2023, mm-hmm. Dave, isn't it? Perfect, eh? You can watch any Essendon match somewhere, correct? I, I just typed it into just watch and it said uh, not found. So, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right, folks, you are on J-Air. We've been talking about the BAFTAs, but let's get on to some of the movies for this particular week. And one that, um, well, it's there's been movies around IT and subterfuge and so forth, but uh, this is a pretty good psychological thriller. I'm talking about Missing it's rated M. It runs for 111 minutes. And the internet, of course, is front and centre. Uh, and let me start by saying that appearances can be deceptive. And the starting point for this movie really is San Antonio in 2008, April the 13th, to be precise. As caught on video camera, a father called James, played by Tim Griffin, is playing with his young daughter, June, Ava Lee. And then there's a trickle of blood seen coming from... Father James's nose. Next thing you know, we're looking at James's medical history. Mother Grace, played by Nia Long, has dismantled James's accounts, and she and June, her daughter, have moved to Los Angeles. So James is no longer with us. And June, played by Storm Reed, now 18 years of age, is living alone and studying. So, in other words, we saw her many, many years earlier, and now we're seeing her as a young adult. Mum, Grace, who's forged a promising new relationship with a new bloke, a Colombian called Kevin, played by Ken Leong, is constantly checking in on her daughter. June, being 18, I suppose, is dismissive. In short, she finds that her mum's protective nature is more than a little overbearing. And now, mum and Kevin are travelling to Colombia for a few days. Grace, well deposit some money in case of an emergency into the account, right? So, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, and, all, 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 I mean, basically what happens is that all she as a daughter is interested in doing is parting with her best friend, whose name is Vina, played by Megan Suri. Well, basically what happens is that June promises to pick up Grace and Kevin at the airport when they return, but neither of them shows up. And... Uh, you've got uh, June trying to track down her mother. She doesn't answer her phone or respond to text messages. It's then that uh, she turns to the internet to try to find her, and before long, the FBI gets involved. 
the plot thickens as June looks for her mum's digital footprint. So this showcases missing the remarkable power of technology and the internet. June's particularly adept at using it. She opens many, many doors, which leads down a dark and twisted path. Much of what we see is relayed to us via vision off a computer screen, uh, and many windows open on that computer concurrently. So uh, I reckon it works a treat in terms of the nature of this picture because it's so IT-based. And, uh, well, Reed really impressed me. I thought she was really strong in the lead. She does a lot of the heavy lifting, becomes a super sleuth, although what she finds is far from pretty. What did you think of it, Jackie? Uh, missing. Yeah, I really enjoyed Missing. I'll, I'll say first off, it actually reminded me because of the way it's presented, you know, in the digital fashion, the online, and we've got everything from it's it's all about what's on the screen. It's all about Google, Facebook, WhatsApp, Siri, mm -hmm. live streaming and TaskRabbit and, you know, cameras and GPS and everything like that. But it's it's got the human element, of course, because there's the family situation and then it becomes a thriller mystery it reminded me of a film, and I, I think it was about eight or nine years ago, called Unfriended, which yeah. I think was um, which was touted at the time as the first fully online, you know, or, or uh, um, feature film presented as being um, fully done just on a screen. So we're not seeing people in there uh, th that are not seen on a screen somehow, which makes it sound really boring, but it actually isn't. I found it fascinating. And the film Missing, as it delves into this um, mystery thriller scenario, which actually gets a little bit too complicated for me at the end, but anyway, that's fine. I really enjoyed the pace of it because it's it's I, I, I actually think it's quite a young film and it's got this fabulous, fast, furious online film, the, you know, the pace, the, the way they operate and the way it reveals nothing is secret. It goes, it delves right through. I really enjoyed that fast pace and um, uh, therefore I enjoyed the film. Never, mm. bore, never bored in it. No, well, I, I would totally agree with that. I, I think also the, the interesting aspect of all of this is that a movie which you've said, you know, appeals to young people has got broader appeal than that because it's quite fascinating for, for us slightly oldies, shall we say, to appreciate how dexterous somebody can be on a keyboard and you know one two three bang you're into something that uh, you shouldn't be and unfortunately that, that's got the nefarious side to it which is obviously what this movie is all about uh, greg what did you think of it uh, missing i enjoyed it in, um in spite of myself because this is one of those thrillers that um plays out for those plays aimed at those gen x's who live their lives um, via social media, Facebook and mobile phones, um, rather than the real world there. But it sort of slowly sucks you in with its build-up of suspense and suspicion and wondering where it's going. Um, there's a sort of sequel to 2018's Searching, which used the same sort of formula and plot, and it comes from the same writer and director um, um, as that Nathan Johnson and um, Will Merrick there, and it follows the same formula. I thought I agreed that Storm Reed was quite strong there. Um, as the heroine who investigates everything online, thinking of all the pre-production work that must have gone in to set up all these screens and background things to go, go play out on screen there. Um, and it plays out sort of like in real time there on the screens there. Um, I thought Ke Kevin Leung brought hit, su subtle hints of to his role that suggested he was not all he, he pretended to be there. And I liked... Um, Welcome to Almeida there as Harvey, the uh, man she um, hires online to investigate on the ground there a long way away. Sorry. You're very popular. Somebody's ringing you. Ring, 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 right. ring. That's all right. Um, yeah, so I, I, I liked it and thought, it, in, spite of, in spite of myself going in there thinking, oh, here we go again. Um, and it's nothing to do with that 1982 thrill of the same name that starred Jack Lemon about That's a man right. looking for his... Um, missing son in um, sort of somewhere in um, South America. You raise an important question, though, here, Greg. In terms of names of films, is there a rule? I mean, do you have to wait? A, if you've got the name of a film that was produced 20, 30 years ago, then obviously you've got a new generation, no problems. Is there any unwritten rule? Does anybody know in terms of having the name of something that's also named something else earlier? Is there a, 
uh, a law of uh, whatever it is. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. A time-based rule, or and, and is there some gatekeeper that prevents you from naming a film like another name or very similar, like copyright? Anybody know? No, no. Because no. on IMDb, quite often you will see um, it'll say something like uh, missing 2023. And then in brackets, number three, that means that there's three films that year that has the name missing. Okay, fair enough. Now, I, I presumed as much because obviously you know, there's not normally necessarily 20 or 30 years between them. So, Pete, um, yeah, did, did, did Missing do it for you? Uh, reasonably well. Uh, just by the way, with titles, for international releases for some films, they might change the title if there's another title, if the same title has been used. But but no, there's no restriction or copyright. And uh, and we have many examples of films uh, uh, that have similar titles and you have to differentiate between them. It's not always easy. Now, Missing, yes, quite right. It's a, a follow-up to the film Searching, using computer screens, using social media to tell a story. Um, I think uh, this one is pretty good most of the time and is quite involving. I think there is a, uh, it slightly goes overboard uh, and, and has a few too many twists in the story uh, in the last third of the film. Um, so when it started off believably, it became somewhat unbelievable to me by the time we got to the resolution, uh, which was uh, to some extent fairly standard, but uh, was very much derivative um, of uh, throwing as much at the audience as possible. But nevertheless, yeah, Missing was quite well done. It's it's certainly watchable. And uh, uh, as a narrative, I hope we don't see too many more films like this because I think uh, it starts to wear out its welcome very quickly. But, uh, yeah, I quite like Missing. Mm, I mean, it, it's sort of hitting, hitting it over the head a little bit with a, a wet lettuce leaf, those, though, Pete. I, I, yeah, you, weren't, you weren't overwhelmed. I think that Stories regarding the internet, I mean, they'll only continue to proliferate, though, won't, won't they? I mean, we're, we're talking AI and all sorts of other things that uh, come off the back of this. So uh, I, I don't know whether you're going to get your wish in terms of uh, uh, not too many more. What about you, Dave? Uh, is, did, you, did you pick it? Did you in any way think this was what's going down? No, definitely not. Um, I, th I think this these kinds of films are very interesting because they're, they're practically Murder, She Wrote or Agatha Christie using a computer. I think this film actually did it a lot better than films such as Dashcam um, that, that were good films but didn't quite reach the levels that this one did. I do think, though, that Missing tripped itself up at the end. I thought it became just a little bit too unbelievable um, with the way that they kept the format going once June left her apartment. So I think that kind of tripped it up towards the end. I wish they had found a way where they could have found a resolve without that because I think it really, really stretched the format towards the end. But look, the rest of the film was really good. I liked the twists and turns, but yeah, I just felt it tripped itself up at the end. De Greg referenced Joachim de Almeida or Almeida. I, I thought, you know, he was quite reasonable as uh, this middle-aged father in Colombia that graced chances upon on the sort of equivalent of Airtasker, sort of quite a cheap resource and ally. Uh, and these days, you know, you can get most things on on sites like Fiverr or whatever, and uh, this is a guy who becomes a bit of a sleuth. I, I quite liked his role. And I thought Nia, Nia Long was reasonably credible as Grace, uh, another key character in this particular movie. I, I, look, I was quite invested in the, the whodunit plot. It's written and directed by Will Merrick and Nicholas Johnson, quite a smart, savvy sort of piece of movie making. I, I agree with Jackie. I think it's it's certainly got a younger demographic in mind, but it's got you know it's it's got a bit of cross appeal given that uh, all of us are a little bit older than uh, twenty, shall we say? So let's get a score, Dave. What about you? Missing. We're talking M rated one hundred and eleven minutes. Uh, I'm giving it six out of ten. Okay, so that yeah, it's it's a sort of middling type mark. Uh, Peter, similarly. Yes, and by the way, uh, my comment is about uh, not making more films with that format. I have no problem using social media, but it's just that that, uh, that uh, visual format, I think, becomes very wearing after time. Uh, look, I agree. I give it a 6 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Greg King? 6 out of 10 from me as well. Wow, okay. Um, Jackie? Oh, I'm a little higher. I gave it 7 out of 10 purely because I was – it was – 
for entertainment, just entertainment. And yeah. um, but I do agree with Peter that that I, I wouldn't want to see one of these every couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, seven and a half for mine for missing. So somewhere between six and seven and a half. So it's a pretty reasonable sort of film, and I think some people are going to particularly enjoy it. Let's go from there on Jair 88FM to a movie which, well, the first one was really a cloud, a cloud, a crowd pleaser in Fisherman's Friends. And now they've, they've that, I think it was 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So here we are, what, four years down the track and we've got Fisherman's Friends one and all, which is, you know, all, alternative title is uh, alternate title Fisherman's Friends 2. PG rated 112 minutes and back to appreciate sea shanties and you were the Cornish contingent from the original movie. And, and look, that was all about many local mates who were unexpectedly signed up to an international record label, recorded a top 10 hit with their debut album. And now leading the group again is Jim, played by James Purefoy. But in Fisherman's Friends, one and all, his father, Jago, played by David Heyman, also an original member of the crew, has died. And, and Jim's decidedly out of sorts. He's grouchy, he's contrary. And Jago remains very much in Jim's thoughts, as reflected in the multiple dream sequences that populate the movie. Jim has allowed the booze to take over, and he's anything but a happy drunk. With a position in the group open, the record label's keen to see the spot filled. Not so the, the nine of them, they don't seem to be in any great hurry regarding the vacancy. The label's also about to release the group's second album, but problems are starting to mount. Political correctness, you see, is not... Uh, the, the, this lad's strong suit, and and Jim publicly disgraces himself. And he, he has an issue with a man chosen to fill the void in the group and falls out with a guest staying at his mother, Maggie's Airbnb, Maggie played by Maggie Steed. So she, uh, this sort of uh, young woman, or not so so young, the, the uh, singer, Aubrey Flynn, played by Imelda May, does indeed turn out to be a former Irish music bad girl who has crashed and burned. And now she's opted for the quieter life and that's why she's sort of gone to the area where the Fisherman's Friend group hail from. And uh, if the group has any chance of continuing to make a name for itself more broadly, there's a lot of making up to do. And the head of the music studio is far from convinced that these old-style musos are worth the risk. So, look, it is a feel-good movie like its predecessor. It's got a really nice score, strong score, beautiful scenery. I mean, wow, scenery. I, I do recall that vividly from the original. The cinematography in the, was terrific, but it suffers from a really, really transparent plot. And uh, it's interesting. It's been written by the same three that wrote the original peers, Ashworth, Meg Leonard and Nick Moorcroft. But Chris Foggan, who is, was in the director's chair, is gone and two of the three, Leonard and Moorcroft, have been installed as the directors. So very few surprises, if any. And to me, the whole thing looked and felt manufactured, Peter. It did uh, to a very large extent. It's interesting, the film, the first Fisherman's Friends film premiered at the Munich Film Festival in 2019. And it was incredible to see how popular that film uh, was at the time mm. and uh, how so many people there enjoyed it. So, and, and because it did uh, worldwide, it did pretty well. Obviously, a sequel um, was uh, on the cards. The problem with the sequel is the writing. Uh, and the issue about the writing is, as you've alluded to, the cliches, the, um, the well, of course, the political correctness, the downplaying of the a cappella singing, which was one of the highlights of the original film, uh, and just the predictability and cliches, uh, especially the dead father coming back to uh, to haunt his son and, and to uh, rev him up. And, and look, the whole thing just felt so contrived and so um, not terribly well well written overall that uh, I was disappointed. I mean, James Purefoy, good actor, uh, not given a great deal to do. And uh, overall, the film, it may have looked good, but it didn't sound right. And so overall, I wasn't overly impressed with the sequel. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are going to be very much of that ilk. Dave, you? Oh, I'm the opposite of you guys. I love this film. Um, yeah. I, think, I think the it's hard to criticize the the way the story goes because it's based on a true story. So it's kind of difficult to to talk about it being a cliche when that actually happened to the people that are in the actual group. I think the film actually took a really good look at some of the things that 
modern day bands face these days, the political correctness training that artists are put through. Um, I interview a lot of musicians that have been in the industry for 30, 40 years and they're the way that they describe those political correctness training days, um, I could not say in this time slot. Um, I also thought it really explored the notion of sometimes if we see a celebrity going off the rails, what's happening in their personal life? We're very, very quick these days to counsel somebody if they do something that is considered a little bit out there or something in public. But as this film shows, sometimes there's things going on behind the scenes that people don't know. So I thought this film was actually quite important in some of the things that it actually explored. And I know a lot of musos out there are going to watch this film and go, it's about time somebody put this on screen. Yeah, okay. Uh, interesting. Uh, Jackie, uh, are you uh, <laughs> enamoured or not? Well, I thought, you know, Dave might be right in saying some of what it explores is worthwhile, but it could have been done in a better and more interesting way. I'm totally agreeing with everything Peter said in it's, it was so contrived, so contrived, it was actually really boring. It was so predictable. And we did miss that singing the, of the first one, the joy of the singing. Um, really, the, the you know, to watch a bunch of grumpy, old, rude, inappropriate men standing around the bar saying the wrong thing and was, was just like, really not what I want to go to a movie and see. Um, the women tended to be rather more lively and lovely characters, um, particularly the Irish singer um, Imelda May. Mm. And she, she was quite delightful I, and she had a lovely voice and she had great character and she looked lovely on the screen and she really fitted into that role well. But to base the entire film on a bit of a shaky romance thing just really didn't work as well as the plot of the original film. However, we've got the grumpy old men, we've got the lovely ladies, and then, as you said, Alex, we have this fabulous uh, scenery of the craggy, ragged kind of coastline, coastline there with the fishing village and the stone cottages and those stonewall fences, a little bit like Banshees of Inner Sharon, actually. Mm. And the film joyfully focused quite a lot on that, probably recognising <laughs> that it was actually elevating the, the the joy of watching the film or giving it some joy in watching it. Um, but I wouldn't say I enjoyed this film. Mm -hmm. And, Greg, what about you in terms of the, the cinematography, the, the rocky cliffs, the ocean setting? I mean, I thought Toby Moore did a wonderful job with it and I also thought the, the music, I mean, it's, um, it, it's feel-good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a nice setting, nice cinematography, as you said, but I didn't think this one was any near as charming or endearing as the original there. In fact, if I can make a pun, I found it a bit tone deaf, actually. Um, mm. But it, like um, a lot of artists who struggle to follow up their successful debut album, I felt this film struggled to follow up the original film there a little bit. Um, and I agree with everything that's been said before by Peter and Jackie, basically. I can't really add much more there. It's cliched. Um, Basically, um, Jim hitting the booze and becoming a bit unreliable is a bit of a cliche in itself. The band falling apart and then having to get back together again by burying their differences is still another cliche. The head of the record company feeling that they're, no one's interested in their music anymore, again, another cliche. So it's cliche upon cliche, cliche upon cliche. Um, look, there's going to be an audience for it, uh, uh, admittedly, and so a lot of people will enjoy this. Um but, yeah, I just found it um, a bit clunky at times. There are a couple of clunky scenes there, like the one where they're playing the um, fish fingers walking down the street for a commercial. Mm. I just found um, graded. Mm, okay. Uh, grating fish fingers. That's interesting. I thought mm. grated cheese, Gregory. But there we go. Uh, having having said that, I, I mean, I I didn't mind it. I, I thought it could have been you – know, the, the acting, look, serviceable, I would say. I, the, they do the jobs asked of them. They – they make the characters as credible as they can, but that has to be, there's a sort of umbrella over that, given the shortcomings of the script. I mean, nothing about what the actors do seems unduly forced, notwithstanding the fact that they play everything by the numbers. And, uh, I mean, James Purefoy, suitably surly, David Heyman, observant, Maggie Steed, reasoned, and so on. But And, and what did you guys think about that record label employee, Gareth, Joshua Maguire plays him, 
purely introduced for comic effect. I mean, I suppose my take on it is, depending upon your perspective, you'll either accept him at face value or find him terribly grating, which is, I suppose, that that role that uh, that you know the word grating that you used, Greg. I, did you did you find? I'll go, I'll go with terribly grating, Alex. I'll, I'll vote for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Dave, you liked it. Did you? What did you find about? Yeah. You know, did you? Did you think that character was? I mean, it was the, it was put in there for comic relief, surely? Oh yeah. Look, I didn't like the most of the record label people at all. I thought they were the weakest parts of the the film. So yeah, mm. um, he was there for a little bit of comic relief. Apparently, the story about the um, the story about him getting trapped on the wall though did really happen so yeah some of it maybe the guy was just an idiot <laughs> yeah well i mean i thought leah jordan jade anuka plays her more solid presence as, as, as this guy gareth's boss i thought that you know she was she wasn't held up to ridicule or anything of that nature but obviously um you know they understanding the nuance and understanding why in the first instance they they made it big because of their the integrity that they had, clearly that's an important uh, issue that resonates right throughout Fisherman's Friends 1 and all. But, um, look, it's pleasant enough but oh so predictable. So, look, let's get the high mark, Dave. You go for it first. Yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. And one thing I'm kind of disappointed in, though, is that Imelda May features on the soundtrack singing with the guys, but we don't really get to see that in the film. Ah, okay. Yes. Okay. That. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. All right, so uh, I'm just wondering who's going to go the really low mark on this one. Uh, Jackie and Peter probably, and well, okay, Jackie, you go, you go for it. Yes, I think you've picked it correctly. As I'll be the low mark here. I gave it a four out of ten. Fisherman's Friend, one and all, that's called. Okay. And Peter, I give it a bare pass, a five out of ten. Ah, and Greg, yes or no, pass or thumbs down? Five out of ten as well, and you. If, People comment that this is based on a true story, but then so is Cocaine Bear. <laughs> yes, we're about, to, we're, about, <laughs> oh. we're about to tee off on that one. Uh, well, hang on, now, hang on. Isn't isn't it common knowledge that uh, that bears like cocaine? I, anyway, we'll get back there in a moment. Uh, having having said that, I'll give it a six. So yeah, there we are. We're we're all in sort of similar territory. That's fisherman. No, we're not, Alex. Well, it's between four. <laughs> Four and seven. I, I gave it a four, which is a which is a fail, and yeah. I don't often fail films. And guess, Dave loved it and gave it a seven. Yeah, that's well, nothing, nothing right. at all similar. Wait, well, hang on, but what's the what's the midpoint between four and seven, Jackie? Yeah, everything's got a midpoint, Alex. But well, there is no comparison between the score. Look, let's have a real. Let's have a real um, fisticuffs over this. No, no, no. It's, it's a, no. Four of us. Four of us think it's pretty ordinary. One thinks it's pretty reasonable, and, and that that's sort of isn't that a summary of where we're at? So we're where you would like to fail it. The rest are almost failing it, but it it passed four out of five. So eighty percent give it a pass, Mark Jacklin. Is that no? Not? But you you can't you can't judge it like that. You have to oh. say. There's a wide range of opinion on this because it's gone from a fail by one of the one of the five of us to um, to you know a very good mark from one. So that's a wide range. Okay, that's a wide range. Uh, good. All right, um, Dave. This is not going to make. Do you agree it. with me now? No, but does this mean <laughs> it's going to be? Uh, it's not going to be in your top hundred movies of the year, Dave, for twenty twenty three, or will it just sneak in? You reckon at seven out of ten, given what Jackie's asked? No, it won't with a seven. There you go, Jackie. So the, it it won't even make the top third of Dave's films for the year. So what does that say about his seven? Is his seven less worthy than your seven? Well, I, I gave a seven to the film Missing. And I said I thoroughly enjoyed it. it was excellent. It was, and Dave used the same language when he was talking about Fisherman's Friend. So he, he really thought it was a good film. So, so hang on. So you're you're now quite. You think that Dave? What did you give um, Missing Dave? I can't remember. Six. He gave it. Ah, yeah, so six. You, wow. So you thought Fisherman's Friends was better than Missing? Okay. All right. On that note. Uh, Sorry about that. I did, I just wanted you no, to not no, get away no. with that. No, look, if, if it makes you feel better to feel like you're right, then go for it. Absolutely. <laughs> now, we are on J-Air 88FM 
And Greg's already referenced our next film. We we, we must talk about Cocaine Bear. Uh, and uh, we we actually, I think there were three movies on that night and, and four of the five of us chose to go to Cocaine Bear, which was rather interesting. 95 minutes, MA rated. This has sort of got cult following all over it, hasn't it? I mean, there's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really bizarre storyline. I, I know that this is based on reality, but how much of it is based on reality is my first question. Well, the bear, the bear did eat, uh, apparently eat a brick of cocaine, but it died. It didn't go on a killing rampage. Thank you. So, in other words, uh, they've taken a skerrick of truth and uh, given it tall tales but true from the legendary past. That's basically well, why let the facts get in the way of good stories. Exactly. Yep. As far as I'm concerned, Essendon wins every premiership. So there you go. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 delightful. Red and black. Mm. What, what can be better than that? Now, uh, St Kilda winning every premiership. There you go. Pardon me. St Kilda winning every premiership. Hang on, that, this is a joke. Is it? Is no. it is not it, letting the facts get in the way, not letting the facts get in the way of the fiction. Thank you. Uh, all right, MA rated 95 minutes. Uh, and the moral of this jaw-dropping outlandish story, well, dealing in cocaine carries with it unexpected risks. That's that's what I took out of all of this. And it, it's a decidedly messed up, darkly humorous story. 1985, uh, a bloke had an unfortunate accident while tossing a massive haul of coke in duffel bags into a national forest in Georgia in the United States. Who should chance upon the illicit substance? None other than a massive black bear who quickly became addicted to the powder. She, because it was a she, could not get enough of it. And when she sensed that anything stood in her way of, of a next fix, she eliminated the threat. And that perceived threat came from all sorts of avenues, people who had no idea what was going on in the woods. And I, I'm talking about locals, tourists, a drug kingpin and his lackeys, tin pot young thieves, law enforcement officials, you name it, they were there. And what they stumbled across would literally tear them apart, limb from limb. The danger they unwittingly put themselves in was intense. So it's a comedic schlock horror written by Jimmy Warden, directed by Elizabeth Banks. That was Charlie's Angels, I think she did, didn't she, uh, Elizabeth? Yep. Now, the over-the-top outrageousness, the bizarre nature of the story, well, as I say, I reckon it makes it a, a bit of a cult classic straight off. Uh, it, it's a film that will undoubtedly play to an appreciative demographic and there was a bit of a stand, not a standing ovation, but an ovation after the movies. It knows its market. It knows how to attract their attention. It will polarise. Some are going to be appalled. that The trailer alone will put them off. And I, I can't really say the acting's top shelf. It, it's there to get the job done and let the bear do its bit. And uh, that's what the various threads are there for. They They sort of intersect and collide. So on that note, Gregory, did you uh, did you sniff something in Cocaine Bear? I call this Grizzly on crack. <laughs> you might remember Grizzly was that 1976 yes. film, so Christopher George, um, and it was one of that cycle of so-called creature features that were popular in the 70s following the success of Jaws. Um, I enjoyed this, actually, much more than I thought I would. Uh, many of the characters are interesting, especially I, I like Kerry Russell as the um, concerned mother um, going into the woods to try and track down her a daughter who's gone left school with a friend. Um, her character is a bit like the female bear who will do anything to protect her young cubs there. And I also enjoyed Margot Martindale as the gun-toting foul-mouthed park ranger, a kind of dirty Harriet there. And many of the characters here I thought were quite interesting. Um, I liked um, Ray Liotta in his, one of his final film roles there um, as the local drug king, kingpin there. Um, O'Shea Jackson brought a touch of humour to his role there. There were a couple of young punks there out to do some mischief there. I thought the CGI rendered bear was quite realistic at times. Um, the um, gore, the blood and the dismembered limbs are irky, ink, icky, but they were played for laughs here, I thought, as well. Um, and as I said, it's a true story, but it's taken extreme liberties with the facts by the writer there. Um, and I thought Elizabeth Banks' direction was reasonably muscular, um, there's no frills direction there, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. There we go. Uh, well, I mean, I, and, and would you agree cult, the word cult is appropriate? Ah, oh. No? Possibly. What, 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 about, what about you, Dave? I mean, do you, I reckon this is that sort of movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is going to become one of those films that I think have their own little category called a stoner category. Um, I think this film's definitely going to fit into that category. Mm. And, and in terms of your thoughts about the film? Um, look, I, I 
I enjoyed it. I was, it surprised me, actually. When I heard the premise of this movie, I thought, I, I'm going to have to endure this thing um, because I've got to review it. But I actually ended up genuinely liking it. It mixed gory horror with comedy, which is very, very difficult to do. Um, and normally when films do do that, they divide the audience um, a lot. But I found this actually worked um, in its favor for this film. I thought the other thing that the writer did that was a difficult thing to try and achieve was to make these young teenage hoods and also drug dealers characters that the audience care about. Um, this film wouldn't work if you didn't care if the character got away from a bear or not. But in this film, one of the young hoods ends up becoming someone that you're barracking for. Um, the same with some of the drug dealers. So it's interesting that so many elements of this actually worked. Yeah, I, I think so too. Peter, uh, is this your sort of movie? Uh, I, look, I, I like slocky films with the best of them, but this one disappointed me greatly. Really? Um, okay. Absolutely. Uh, the problem I have with this film is that it's it's uneven in terms of its pacing and its ideas. Uh, it, it's, it tries to uh, play up the horror in terms of this uh, vicious uh, alleged uh, bear uh, killing people left, right and centre, although we don't see much of that at all, and the satire or comedy uh, based on the 80s style of schlocky films that uh, were made at that time and I thought it it, it didn't work combining those two things at all it I think Elizabeth Banks does a, a reasonable job of directing this film but the problem is Jimmy Warden's script which doesn't quite know whether it wants to be an homage to families and to especially with the way the film ends or whether it's meant to be a schlocky horror film or it's meant to be a satire or comedy and so for me it fell between a lot of stools. I also uh, liked Margot Martindale. I, I think she's the best thing in the film, um, and I think her character could have been developed even more. Uh, I was worried by a scene where the two kids ate the cocaine, and I thought, why is this scene in there? I, I found that unnecessary and inappropriate. Um, and the rotoscoping of the bear uh, was actually quite well done, the CGI, uh, even though when it got a little bit too close, it looked a little obviously as CGI overlaid on an actor who was uh, um, uh, portrayed as the bear. Anyway, uh, look, overall, I was disappointed. I would have liked something much more horrifying or something much funnier. And for me, it didn't uh, fit any of those criteria. So... Not so good a film as I thought it would be. Yeah, I, look, I, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's also aimed at a particular demographic. So uh, it's, but and yet you've said you you do appreciate schlock horror. So I suppose schlock horror is one of those genres that uh, I mean, so fun, funny and hu humor is a very very difficult thing to get right because some people can be offended and other people, you know, they set out to offend. It's, it's kind of I look I. I found it quite appealing as well, in spite of myself. So I, I, I mean, I, I it was one of. By the way, it's one of um, Ray Liotta's last movies, uh, I, which is also rather sad. But um, he's the sort of man pulling the strings on the cocaine haul, and uh, uh, th there's quite a large cast here. I mean, there's a lot of threads. Uh, it, it's all kind of confusing, but I suppose it, it's it's really contextualised by mayhem. Uh, and that's really the cornerstone of Cocaine Bear. I accepted the hijinks at face value. As a result, I appreciated the film for what it was. I mean, it, it's unashamedly out to push the boundaries, to provoke a reaction, and surely, if nothing else, it does that. So I'll start by giving it a six and a half. This is MA-rated Cocaine Bear at 95 minutes. Peter. Yeah, I. Uh, by the way, Ray Liotta looks quite unwell in the film. I have to yeah. say, so uh, which was very sad to see. Um, look, I give the film a, just a bare pass, five out of ten. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm growling. <laughs> what about you, Dave? Uh, I'm giving it a six out of ten. Okay, and Greg, six and a half to seven for me. I enjoyed it. Okay, well. Um, now, Jackie, uh, ha having heard the the scores are between five and six and a half to seven, so would you agree the average there is about six? Well, um, that sounds fair enough, except that um, I saw enough of this film to know that I didn't want to see it, 
And oh, if oh, I score it a one out of ten, that kind of changes the um, the face yes, of the yes, scoring. But, but, but I mean, I won't even hesitate. No, I won't dare ask you how much of the movie you saw because if you didn't see a great deal of the movie, I saw enough, and that, and we'll leave it at that. Alex, okay. this is I'm just being the voice of reason here for <laughs> our listeners who. Okay. So, in other words, if we add the one to everything else, we, we're going to get a bare pass. Is that's what you're saying? Yeah. If that. Jackie found it. Jackie found it unbearable. Exactly. Thank you very I much. I did. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for that, Greg. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, you're that. honest, right? You had a grisly opinion on it. Okay. Oh. No. <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> Greg, maybe you should have been the next meal ticket for this bear. <laughs> not, not literally. Okay. <laughs> now. What a ripper. Uh, oh, thanks. Okay. Um, <laughs> Dave, us being older citizens, you can see all these dad jokes just come, and I think you're doing very well not to not to participate. Now let's um, let's go to Close, which is a movie that is a very fine picture and is well worth looking at. Uh, you've got an M-rated film, 104 minutes. You're on J Air, by the way, 88 FM. Leo, played by Eden Dambreen and Remy Gustave de Wall, are inseparable best friends. They're, they're, 13-year-olds, they play together, they race one another in the fields, they ride their bikes in tandem with reckless abandon. Leo, whose family runs a flower farm, regularly stays over at Remy's place and they even share a bed. So for all intents and purposes, they're like brothers, ones that get along famously, not ones that fight all the time. Before you know it, though, the holidays are over. They start their first day of high school where others quickly notice their close bond. Questions are posed, and although Leo pushes back at the Inquisitors, clearly he's affected by those questions. That manifests itself in his interactions with Remy, so the dynamic between them changes. But far worse is to follow. This is Belgium's nomination for Best International Feature at the Oscars. It won the Grand Jury Prize at Cannes last year. Quite a sensitive, distressing coming-of-age drama characterised by beauty and darkness, written by Lucas Dont who also directs, and Angelo Tessens. The, the film, well, allows us to interpret events as we will rather than prescribing an interpretation. The performances, by the way, led by Dan Breen, I thought were really, really strong, outstanding, actually. His eyes speak volumes. And there's a depth in his and DeWall's characterisations that belie their tender years. I'm very careful about what I'm saying about this picture. I don't want to spoil it for people in terms of plot development. But, uh, by the way, I, I should mention that Dont cast Dan Breen after inviting him to audition after he observed him talking to his mates on a train, having noticed an acutely expressive quality about him. So uh, purely by accident, met on a train and the rest is history. And among the other standouts, Remy's mother, Sophie, played by um, Emily Dequel, Dequen, rather, who is protective, respectful and authentic. And so too Leah Drucker as Leo's supportive mum, Natalie. So, um, and, and there's a bit of an empathetic quality to uh, the Leo's older brother, played by Igor Van Dessel. So, I, by the way, I thought the cinematography by Frank Vanden Eden really captured character nuances and and the texture of the film is greatly enhanced by those sort of sun-kissed and close-up photographs that he took, moving pictures being what they are. Jackie, did you appreciate Close as much as I did? Very much so, Alex. It's a beautiful film to watch. Um, it's a big ask. This film's a big ask of those two boys, and um, they just stepped up with these magnificently natural performances um, on the two levels, it's beautiful to look at, and emotionally, it's um, it's it's quite a deep film and very very involving. Um, this instinctive intimacy. What what I found interesting was um, that if this film were a film about two girls mm. in this situation, two very very close girlfriends, as we'd say at that age, they would be like sisters. Where you said they were like brothers. You know, if they happen to, you know, have a sleepover and they're sleeping in the same bed, you know, you, you wouldn't even blink, mm. would you? The beauty, the, their eyes, the close-ups, the holding of the long shots, all this would be, and yet the aspect of this film being two boys is what changes it. And I think that's a really interesting examination of these two boys at that stage of life and how that relationship uh, how there's intervention in that relationship. Um, and uh, as you said, the adults don't intrude on this film. It is about the two boys, although the older brother comes into it. 
um, to some degree in a supportive role, and I think that's great. I, I liked so much about this, um, about the film Close. It was really a, a, a quite an emotional experience for me. And as I said, the visuals also being beautiful. I love that repetition mm. that we saw in their daily lives, the riding of the bikes, the picking of the flowers and the harvesting and going to school and the back and forth and the rhythm of, of the days, which becomes interrupted as the plot goes on. Um, really quite a magnificent film. And, and uh, Peter, the, the, there's a seductive score involved in this as well by Valentin uh, Hardage, uh, really, really strong there as well. I thought it was a terrific movie. Look, it is a very strong film, and I was quite impressed by it. Um, Lucas Dond also directed Girl previously about the trans dancer, uh, and that was quite a powerful depiction of uh, issues related to sexuality and uh, gender identity and so on. Uh, look, I, I for the most part, I really like this film. I just had a question mark about the event that happens halfway through the film and whether that the, the issue between the, uh, the friendship between the two boys, etc., could have then ex been explored in a different sort of way, mm -hmm. uh, especially with the incipient sexuality issues and all that sort of thing. So, uh, but nevertheless, yes, beautifully made film and I was very impressed. And Peter, uh, sorry, Dave, rather, did, did you think it was a great film? Oh, I thought it was an absolutely amazing film. I thought the performances of the young actors was just sensational and, and such a, a beautiful story in a way, if not um, kind of sad. So, yeah, I really, really love this film. Mm. And, and uh, I suppose, Greg, uh, when you think about a movie, uh, this is one that really stuck with me long after I exited the cinema. Did it you? Did, did you have it had that sort of impact on you? Yeah, I thought it was a powerful, deeply affecting drama and it packed a real emotional punch. And a lot of that came down to the two performances from the two boys who have never acted before and uh, just such great performances, very natural and um, creating that dynamic between them. And I thought um, the way that the cameraman, um, Frank Van Eden, often worked in close-up on um, Leo's face, it captured his inner confusion, his sorrow and his emotional journey and brought it brought, drew us in more, I thought. Um and I thought, that, yeah, they were, they were really good performances there. And I did like um, Emilia Jaquin as um, Sophie Remy's protective mother there. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And it, it sort of stuck with you for a while. And the themes it explores are sort of quite universal. Yeah, very much so. So, Greg, it's uh, rated M, runs 104 minutes. Score out of 10 from you, please. Eight. Mm -hmm. Jackie? Eight. Greg, not Greg. I keep confusing names. I mean, yeah, so I, I should should have. Um, you mentioned setting in, Alex. I sh yeah, I should have sandwich boards. Dave, uh, nine. Mm hmm. And Peter. And I still give it a nine out of ten. And I'm giving it an eight and a half. So that's our film of the week. Close. And by the way, we are out of time, but I'm going to say that next week we are going to be talking about. The Mousetrap, the 70th anniversary production of The Mousetrap, which is an absolute ripper. It's on at the Comedy Theatre. It is really fabulous. Uh, I saw it 10 years ago uh, here, also at the Comedy, and I reckon this is a phenomenal performance. Great sets, wonderful. It's It stood the test of time. Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap at the Comedy Theatre. Thank you, one and all. We are going to do it all again next week. You listen out, have a good week to be be kind to one another and uh, we will speak to you next week on first on film and entertainment <laughs>